Not making Washington, D.C. a state is racist. The Biden administration is racist because it doesn't have enough Asian Americans. And where is all this everything is racist crap coming from? Because you better bet it's going to be coming to you anytime soon, pretty soon. Uh, And baseball starts this week. And they still don't get it. This is Gene, and you're listening to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Hey, hey, it's Gene, and this is you're listening to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Okay, here we go again. The Democrats are trying to do anything they can to guarantee that they will have another two senators in the Senate and a bunch of other uh, House members. Um, so. Here they go, trying to make Washington, D.C. a state again. Now, there's a bunch of reasons why Washington, D.C. can't be a state. Maybe too many and too strong of reasons, but that is not stopping the Democrats from using the best reason they can come up with. And I think Ayanna Presley, the uh, House member and part of the squad, she sums it up best. Listen. I'm going to make a plane. D.C. statehood is a racial justice issue and racism kills. And I don't just mean police brutality and hate crimes and food apartheid systems and transportation deserts and unequal access to health care. I mean, all of that, too. But racism kills our democracy. Racism is basically the best argument that the Democrats can make for anything. I, I, And by the way, no, racism doesn't kill democracy. Those folks are killing democracy. And it, it, they're so tyrannical. Here's the thing. Um, racism is a way that the Democrats are using to get around the Constitution. And that's really what it comes down to. The Constitution is very clear about Washington, D.C. being a state. It's it, There's nothing vague about it. And the problem is you have to make the system racist so that they can bypass the Constitution. And that's what's dangerous for our society. I mean, the Second Amendment is a prime example. Now, you know, white supremacy is the reason we all, all those white folk want our guns. You know, it's stupid. But just remember that. Anything that they don't agree with, it's racist. There's social justice. I would suggest going to dumbassestalkingpolitics.com and listening to the entire uh, three-minute speech she gave. I mean, she had all the woke lingo going. But here's the thing. Uh, There are probably three areas of the Constitution that explain why and how making Washington, D.C. a state is unconstitutional. And uh, Federal's Paper 43 by James Madison basically said, no, the the, the city (coughs) that holds the Capitol building cannot, holds the legislator, really can't be under a state. There, there is no confusion here. So let's, let's take a look at the um, Constitution, okay? Because this is going to be very difficult for the Dems to get through, to try and get through. And they can pass laws and things like that, but unless they amend the Constitution, which there is no way they're going to get this amended, this isn't going to work out. So Article 1, Section 8 is permanent congressional power, is what they talk about here. 
And this is what it says. The Congress shall have power to exercise exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever over such district, not exceeding 10 square miles, as may by session, secession of a particular states and the acceptance of Congress become the seat of the government of the United States. So what they're basically saying is the legislator, legislators will have a little place, little piece of heaven that can't be any over 10 miles wide, 10 miles in size, square miles, and it will be known as a district. And a state shall give that city, okay, that district. So it was going to be within the United States, but it is not going to belong to any state. They're saying this right here. Washington, D.C., of course, was a member of Maryland. So it was a city from Maryland. So right off the bat, uh, to, to, <clears throat> to make it a state, that's going to be kind of a problem because it already belongs to a state. As a matter of fact, that's where the second part of the Constitution gets a little dicey. Now, this isn't a great argument, but it is there. Uh, this is from Article 4, Section 3 of the Constitution, Maryland's permission. Washington, D.C. cannot become a state without Maryland giving permission. Here's the kicker. This is probably the weakest of the arguments, uh, weakest in the in the um, Constitution of all the arguments because everyone's pretty sure Maryland's a democratic state. Maryland probably is not going to say anything about it. And the reality is the government, the federal government, can take land from a state. So this is kind of an issue, but probably not so much. But finally, there is the most serious argument, and that's the 23rd Amendment. The district, uh, here it is, quote, the district constituting the seat of government of the United States shall appoint in such a manner as a Congress they may direct a number of electors of president and vice president equal to the whole number of senators and representatives in Congress to which the district would be entitled if there were a state, but in no event more than the least populous state. So right off the bat, what this means is they are already given electors. And they have a set number of electors that they're allowed to have. They can have no more than the, the state with the, lowest, uh, with the lowest populations. So this is actually defined in the 23rd Amendment, that it is a district. It already does have representation. And the representation is limited. Okay, so this is going to be the toughest one to get through because basically what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to overturn the 23rd Amendment. Um, in Federalist Paper 43, James Madison talked about this also. And one of the things he said is that when deciding where the legislature was going to be placed, they found that a neutral site was the best place to put it simply because if you put it in a state, you, that state representation, the governors, the mayors, the uh, state legislatures, may have undue influence on the federal government. So let's just say you stuck Washington, D.C., you stuck the federal legislature inside of, let's say, New York. This could be a real problem 
because then you've got Andrew Cuomo and Bill de Blasio who might sit back and try and influence the legislative decisions that for what's best for their state. And he talks about this all throughout the uh, article 40, or um, paper, Federalist Paper 43. It's an interesting read. Fed, the Federalist Papers are, are a great read, but they are a little bit heavy. Um, this is one of them. But he does, they did specifically think of this. The, the Founding Fathers did specifically think of this. And I know Ayanna Presley is black and... and, and um, she knows better than the founding fathers because they were all racist. But the reality is I would trust them far more than I would trust her. So right off the bat, you have articles in the Constitution that say you can't do it. You have an amendment to the Constitution that says you can't do it. And they both define uh, the legislative state as a district. It even gives the number of miles, square miles it can be and a number of representatives that they can have within Washington, D.C. And you have a Federalist paper by James Madison that explains, hey, you can't do this and this is why. Any questions? So the chances of the Constitution actually, uh, the chances of Washington, D.C. actually becoming a state are like little or nil. So, and that's really going to be upsetting for the Democrats, especially since Puerto Rico apparently has become far more conservative than they thought it was. Remember when Puerto Rico, uh, I was talking to Dave the other day, and remember when Puerto Rico was, they wanted Puerto Rico and Washington, D.C. to be a state? Notice they never wanted Guam to be a state. You know why? Guam is a conservative area. And they don't want, they don't want any conservative. Well, guess what? Puerto Rico has become a conservative area, especially after all the corruption from their mayor in the last couple of years. So suddenly you don't hear much about Puerto Rico, oh, but we got to get Washington D.C. in there, and you're a racist if you're don't if you don't. Oh, let me give you a little hint on something. You know, if the population in Washington D.C. feels alone, solitary, because they're a district and not a state, you know what they can do? They can move. They can move to Virginia or Maryland. They're right. They're I mean, literally, they could walk to Virginia or Maryland and start a new life there and feel represented. So I'm sorry, I'm not buying it. Speaking of race, because race is such an awesome topic, you remember, I, God, do you remember the old days when someone called you a racist? You actually listened because maybe you said something wrong. Now they call you a racist, you know, just because you logged into Twitter. Anyway, so there's been a lot made up of this Asian American hate crime violence. Okay, that violence has been there for a long time. Unfortunately, that violence was exasperated by the mass killings two weeks ago by a mentally deranged man with a sex addiction um, who killed six Asian American women who were working in massage parlors. Uh, these poor gals were trafficked. It's just a terrible thing. They, they just released... An article, I didn't read the entire article. I did read the entire article, but I can't remember uh, where I read it. But how these gals were alone and they just worked and they worked all day and they came hoping to get a better life and they got stuck in these places. I mean, it's, it's absolutely terrible. Six, so six Asian American women were killed. I do want to make sure everyone realizes there were also two others killed. 
they were male and they weren't Asian American. I think one was white and one was Hispanic. So, and there was another white man who was injured. So let's not get crazy on this guy was going after Asian Amer- Americans. He, I don't think he was. I think he was just crazy. So suddenly there's this huge amount of racism against Asian Americans. Of course, it's systemic. It's, it's systemic. It's got to be systemic. Of course, when you read these articles that talk about that, they, they seem to skip some things. Like the Asian American community has the highest income in the country with a higher income even for whites. Of course, they don't mention that. Um, Asian Americans fill our colleges to the points that Democrats don't want them in colleges anymore and want them rejected in favor of other races. This has been brought up by Fox News and Daily Wire and Blaze and Louder with Crowder and the Bongino Report. This is never brought up by Democrats because they're actually committing the racism there. And they failed to mention this little thing. Um, most of the violence against Asian Americans is actually by black people, not white people. So this crap of white supremacy, no, actually, the information doesn't work. Well, Senator Tammy Duckworth, a Democrat from Illinois, has decided to use this to get more Asian Americans into the government. So she has said that she will refuse to appoint any of Biden's non-Asian Americans into the cabinet until he actually selects more Asian Americans. She's backed up by uh, Maisie Hirono, uh, the Democrat from Hawaii. So um, they just don't think, they're, they think both Hirono and Duckworth just think too many white people in the Biden administration. Listen to Maisie Hirono. Um, One of your colleagues, Senator Tammy Duckworth, said today that she told the White House she will vote against all of President Biden's nominees who are still outstanding uh, until they rectify the the fact that there is no AAPI representation in Biden's cabinet. Do you stand with her in that? Tammy's Tammy's position um, is that until she gets a commitment from the White House that there will be more diversity representation in the cabinet and senior White House advisory positions, she will not vote to confirm anyone who does not represent diversity. So this is not about pitting one diversity group against another. I think this is a a well-articulated, focused position, and I am prepared to join her in that. Now, I do want to point something out. Hirono and Duckworth aren't the rocket scientists of the Senate. I mean, they're pretty stupid. Uh, remember Hirono is the one that actually asked Amy Coney Barrett during her confirmation hearing if she had ever sexually assaulted anybody or harassed anybody, which is just, yeah, that, that's the woman you just heard talking. So you, you gotta, you gotta take with what they do with a grain of salt, but I personally think it's great. Here's the thing. I think it's great. I want Democrats to keep doing this. I want them to keep talking race. I want them to cancel Dr. Seuss and and uh, Shakespeare and Huck and uh, Mark Twain. I want them to go around the Constitution. I want them to show their true colors because people are seeing it. People are watching it, and they're not in the position to do the damage that they want to do. But I do want to point something out here. 
when you refuse to vote for someone because they are of the wrong race, that's racist. This is the left's attempt to create another racial group problem. They are already doing it with the blacks. And I don't say African-American. I think I explained that to you. Not all African-Americans are actually from Africa. Ibram X. Kendi, who we're going to talk about in a few minutes, is actually from Jamaica. So I don't use the African-American terminology for that reason. Hispanics have been... are They're trying to put Hispanics into that little group so that they know that those evil whites and... It's not working so much, I don't think. As a matter of fact, Trump's approval rating with Hispanics was actually quite high. And Hispanics don't buy all this weird men can run in women's sports and things like that. It ignores the success of Asian Americans. They ignore that when you ignore the success of Asian Americans and say that the reason they are successful is not through hard work, studying, education, and hard work, but because they have embraced the white supremacist hierarchy of the United States, you're looking down on another race. So basically, the that's racist. Asian Americans are not more successful in the United States than white people because they embraced white supremacy. The white supremacist hierarchy, excuse me. They worked hard. They took advantage of opportunities. And they became successful. As a matter of fact, this is this has been a real this has been a real problem for the Democrats, is trying to explain that away. Well, how did this happen? How did uh, Asian Americans do very well and they are a minority group? Hispanics don't do too, neither do blacks, as a matter of fact. Why is Asians, Asian Americans are doing better than blacks or Hispanics? Well, you got to take a look at some things. Maybe it's the, uh, the work ethic, the family values that Asians have. Hispanics do actually quite well also, but they also have those family values. The black community has almost an 80 percent, an 80 percent single mother rate. 80 percent of the children born, I think it's 76 to 80, but 70, let's say 76 percent of children born are born to a single family family unit. There was a really disturbing statistic that said last year there were 136,000 black children born. There were 156,000 black children aborted. Maybe we could ask that question. You are more likely to be aborted if you are a black child than born. That's scary. Maybe those are the questions we should be asking and not blaming white supremacy. Or better yet, Mary Sanger, who started Planned Parenthood, was a white supremacist. She was a racist. Maybe we can blame white supremacy and racism. But I think we're looking down the wrong, long road. And the biggest problem is this crap is spreading like crazy. I mean, it's everywhere. Everything is racist. You can't, you can't throw spit without hitting something that's racist. They are calling white supremacy the new pandemic. 
But meanwhile, we've had white supremacy for 400 years, is what they're saying. The country hasn't been around for 400 years, by the way. This is caused by a theory known as anti-racism. Anti-racism is the real pandemic. And anti-racism is in itself racist. It's spread with our news media. It's spread through the entertainment industry, including sports. It's, our education system is beginning to embrace it. And now the government is pushing it. It is also infecting the institutions of our culture that should never have been touched by this trash. The military, law enforcement, religion, immigration, all this stuff is being touched with this anti-racism theory. So let's talk a little bit about anti-racism. And I didn't want to do it before I finished uh, reading uh, the Handbook of Anti-Racism, which is a book called How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. Uh, I haven't, I actually, I get free audiobooks every month, and I actually downloaded this one, and I'm listening to it right now. But so far, about a quarter of the way through the book, I get it. And uh, I've got to hang on what he's actually talking about. So Ibram X. Kendi is a 38-year-old professor. He actually runs a... um, the Science or Research Institute in Boston, uh, the Center for Anti-Racist Research at Boston University. He does very well. He's written several books, very famous. Uh, on He was on The View uh, a couple months ago, and he was asked by uh, one of the hosts, hey, what is anti-racist? Because I think it's Whoopi Goldberg that asked him, what is anti-racism? Explain to the audience that may not know. And then we'll listen to his answer, and then I'll tell you what the real answer is. I don't think a lot of people understand what that means. What do you mean when you say an anti-racist? Well, well, first, I think it's important for us to recognize that we live in a society of, of racial inequities. And so the question for, for each of us, are we seeing racial inequities? Are we seeing that black and brown people are dying at, at higher rates from, from COVID-19 because we think there's something wrong with black and brown people? Or are we saying or recognizing that there are policies and practices, racist policies and practices that are behind the racial disparities in our community? And, and so to see the racial groups as equals and thereby to see racial disparities as the problem of policy and not people is to be anti-racist. And then, of course, to, to be a part of those who are trying to eliminate those racist practices and policies in our society is, again, to be anti-racist. That was a very tame definition of what it is to be an anti-racist. Let me tell you what he says in his book. Every person, every white person, is a racist. That white person may not know it, but he is. It's ingrained. It's systemic. People of color cannot be racist because they never had the power within 
the white hierarchy. The systems within the white hierarchy. They never had the power. So black person can't be racist. It is the systems within the United States that harbor the racism. All the way back before the founding of this country. Right? 1619. You've heard that, that garbage. All right. And all of the inequities, all of the reasons why blacks hire, black, more blacks are in poverty, more blacks are in jail, more blacks are in prison, is because of the systemic racism within the systems. What m people must acknowledge is their racism, and they must be an anti-racist. Saying you're not racist is not enough. That doesn't prove a thing. There are no other options. And in order to be an anti-racist, one must see the racism, call it out, and fight against it, and tear it down, including the racist systems of the United States. It's that simple. If you are white, you are a racist and always will be. All the systems in the United States are racist. You can only be an anti-racist if you restrict, if you reject and strip the United States of its systems and philosophies. By the way, does that make more sense? That is exactly, exactly the theory of Black Lives Matter. He also does not believe in the individual. You'll notice this. Everything is group. There's, a, again, another great book, um, uh, White Guilt by uh, Shelby Steele. Very good book where he talks about this. This happened after the 60s. Blacks before the 60s were were reviled because they were put into a group. But blacks were individuals in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And they had all this responsibility and they had to live up to their responsibility, but they could, didn't have the opportunities to progress, to go forward. The 1964 Civil Rights Act happened, Act happened and then the same, they got their, they got their responsibility and they got the opportunities to move on. And then hucksters like this idiot, Ibram X. Kendi, puts them back into a group and ignores the, the, the individual. He believes that all inequity is because of race. And it's because we're all, because of the racist system. In other words, the white man's holding him down. That's racist. The white man's not holding anybody down. He does not believe in capacity of an individual. He does not understand the cultural, he doesn't understand or discuss at all the actual culture, cultural issues the black community goes to. Maybe there's a reason there are more blacks in jail or more blacks commit crime. They'll never say that. They'll just say there are more blacks in jail. No, that's because more blacks commit crime. I mean, a lot higher than, let's say, any other racial group, including Hispanics. Whites are still the majority in prisons, but they forget that. Why is that? Why is it there are more black people than there are, let's say, Hispanics or Asians? There are barely any Asians. Aren't they minority groups too? As Maisie Hirono and Duckworth has said? 
By the way, does any of this sound familiar? Inequity. It's the term, it's the key term now. Inequity. It's not even equality anymore. It's inequity. Equity. Of course, uh, Kenny has a lot of baggage of his own. And to be honest with you, it makes him look like he's kind of a racist. Okay, I lied. He is a racist. He's not kind of a racist. He is a racist. So some of the fun things he had said was, and most of this stuff's still on Twitter. He hasn't removed anything. He believes the reason people of color are being more affected by the pandemic is because of racism. He said, this is a racial pandemic within the viral pandemic. Okay, here, here's the thing. Yes, more Hispanics and more blacks are getting infected and dying. But again, that is a cultural issue. That is not a racial issue. Hispanics, I'm, I'm with, a, I live with, a, I engaged to a Mexican woman who's very close to her family. And guess what? Through the entire pandemic, the 15, 20 of us would get together almost every weekend. We did not separate. Even when people might have had COVID, we did not separate. That is a cultural thing. Blacks are the same way. Whites, me, for example, we're more of a nuclear family only, which means me, my wife, in this case, Josie, and her kids, that's about it. That's all I care about. I care about my kids. I care about my, even even my father, I'm not as close to as, as I would be if I were like, let's say, Hispanic. Italians are the same way, by the way. Italians who are white do the same thing. Another thing Kendi said, uh, this involved the George Floyd protests, was that the riots were quote, a signature, significant, distinct moment of people striving to be anti-racist. What did they do during the George Floyd riots? They burned down systems. They bitched about the police. They wanted to defund the police. They wanted to tear down. They want socialism. Don't forget, BLM is a Marxist organization. Let's call it what they are. They're not a black organization. They are a Marxist organization, much like the Black Panthers were. So, he actually approves of these riots. Before the protests, Kendi published a proposal for a constitutional amendment that would establish a Department of Anti-Racism. That doesn't sound Orwellian at all, does it? So, get this. This department would be responsible for, quote, pre-clearing all local, state, and federal public policies to ensure they won't yield racial inequity, monitor those policies, investigate and empowered with disciplinary tools to wield over and against policymakers and public officials who do not voluntarily change their racist policy ideas. In other words, Kendi wants a department that's going to condemn anybody and punish anybody who he doesn't agree with. And he wants those policies monitored and those policies he wants, he wants to have a say on every policy that comes through. 
and find out if it's racist or not. And how are we going to find out if it's a racist policy? Not all black people end up equally receiving everything. Okay? So the ditch digger should earn the same as the CEO. That's Marxism. And just because you don't like a policy does not mean that it's racist. This was one of his more... Um, this was one of the things that he had said, which I thought was absolutely... I actually thought, good, that you say this. This is going to work out. When Amy, when it was found that Amy Coney Barrett had actually, and her husband, had, had uh, adopted two Haitian children... He said, quote, some white colonizers adopted black children. They civilized these savage children in the superior ways of the white people while using them as props in their lifelong pictures of denial, while cutting the biological parents of these children out of the picture of humanity. And whether this is Barrett or not is not the point. It is the belief that too many white people have. If they have or adopt a child of color, then they can't be a racist. I, that's racist. When a, when a man of color or a white man actually sits back and says that you are doing something because of your race and he's got the whole, I've got the moral high ground, that's racist. Do you know who agreed with him? Do you know who agreed with Ibram X. Kendi? Here it comes. Richard Spencer, the head of the neo-Nazi party. That's kind of scary. Oh, oh yeah, and there's one other thing that no one... He's 38 years old. He's never lived through Jim Crow, segregation, or slavery. He's got his degrees from Florida A&M and his doctorate from Temple University. Does he sound like he was uh, victimized? He's worth millions of dollars selling his books. He is doing speaking tours for $20,000 per speech. Does he sound like someone who had no chance to make something of himself? Heck, with bitching that he's doing, doesn't it kind of sound like, does it sound like this guy is even a good guy? I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want this guy anywhere near me. According to Oxford Dictionary, this is the definition of racism. The belief that different races possess distinct characteristics, abilities, or qualities, especially so as to distinguish them as inferior or superior to another. What does that tell you? He's a racist. He thinks the black community has the uh, moral high ground. He is looking at history in a flat timeline. For example, slavery of 1850 is no better than the black guy who's shooting meth on the corner in 2020. There's no difference. He, he, he's not looking. And this was the big complaint with his book. And I see it. It's a lot of revisionist history in his book. A lot of revisionist history. You really have to sit back and make a stretch on some of this stuff. 
Okay. All the all the the crap. We killed all the Indians. We killed all the Vietnamese. I tell you what, there'll be far more on this book when I get there. Um, when I finish the book, I'll actually talk about it because I, I am taking notes on it. I, I do want to uh, give a, a good sound off on it. And just, I tell you what, I'm sure he's a very intelligent man. I'm happy for him. It, whatever, I, I, think his, I think his philosophies are toxic. But I... <laughs> Um, but this revisionist history, this was a really piss poor book. And you, when someone like me can sit there, listen to this book and say, uh, no, this, what is he talking about? That's bad. And that has been a criticism from other sociologists, other historians. They've said, uh, it's a very loosely interpreted book. And so far I can see what they're talking about. Okay, last story. Um, baseball starts this week. Boom, boom. I'm kind of excited about it. I didn't watch any basketball. I didn't watch any of the Final Four. And it's simple. Uh, when these guys start kneeling for the Star Spangled Banner and they start doing the political thing, I just stopped watching it. I did watch some of the. I did watch some of the Final Four, um, the March Madness. But then I saw the entire one team actually all kneel and I stopped watching it because I was like, okay, I don't like basketball enough to be annoyed. So I just stopped watching it and I've got hockey. So I'll just watch some hockey, right? Well, oh, the good news is that team that all kneeled during the Spangled Banner got bounced quick and they got blown out. So good for them. I can't remember the name of the team. I really don't care. Um, but the baseball is starting and baseball, of course, is the all American sport. And you would think, okay, baseball is going to kind of just be mellow, right? And they were mellow last year. It wasn't too bad last year. Yeah. Guess what? So there's a voting rights act being passed in Georgia. And basically what it makes you do is there's going to be limited voting times. You're not going to be voting two weeks or a month before the election and a month after election. You have to have voter ID. You have to actually have show an ID if you want to vote. And you must have, if you're going to be an absentee uh, voter, you have to give a reason why you're an absentee voter. In other words, this is um, basically the same rules we had in place for the last 250 years. Okay, so, but this is considered... Um, racist, again, racist, uh, voter suppression, which is racist, things like that. So the All-Star game was supposed to be held in Atlanta. And now there is push from the activists saying that, no, you can't have the, uh, you can't have the All-Star game in Atlanta. That's racist you'll be supporting their voter laws. And they're doing the same thing with the PGA and the Masters, because the Masters is held in Georgia. And guess what? The MLPA, which is the Major League MLBPA, Major League Baseball Players Association, is actually considering it. So I may be without sports. It looks like I'll be watching a lot of Simpsons and... Family Guy reruns because there's just no way. These guys, I don't understand why sports can't understand 
that you they really need to keep politics out of everything. That they are entertainment and people do not want to talk about politics while they're watching a baseball game, football game, basketball game, hockey game. That they don't want it. They just they want to get away from it. And these folks don't get it. They just don't get it. Basketball was down 50% last year. It's down worse this year. A lot of people didn't even know basketball had started. Football was down 30%. This is viewership and attendance. No one cares about your sport. No one cares about your sport. Okay. Um, so you can follow me on Parlor and uh, Parlor and Rumble at Dumbasses Talking Politics. You can download and listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, YouTube, and Rumble. And you can visit my website at dumbassestalkingpolitics.com to take a look at all of the links. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Happy Monday. This is Gene, and you listen to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Mm-hmm.